Brendan, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Bitcoin Source. To kick things off, can you give people a brief introduction of who you are? Yeah, absolutely. And first off, thanks for having me here. I'm excited to have the conversation. You've been making moves lately. So um, yeah, I'm just happy to be here. Appreciate it. So quick intro on me. Um, I think the most relevant bit of my prehistory, pre-Bitcoin history is that I've been an always a lifelong learner and a lifelong entrepreneur. And so school didn't really inspire me in the same way. So I was always starting little businesses and little side hustles before that was a term. And so I probably started a hundred businesses before I graduated high school, that kind of thing. Um, and then I found Bitcoin actually in 2017. Uh, I, sh I, I take that back. I found it in 2011 or 2012 around the Silk Road era. Friends were buying drugs on the internet. And I was, I was like, how is that possible? I asked a few questions. They explained mining. And I was like, you mean you just plug in a computer and money comes out? That sounds totally stupid. Ran away. And then it ultimately came back in 2017. And then it started to make sense for me. So class of 2017, uh, traded all the altcoins, thought I was a genius. And then 2018 came, everything crashed. I found out I was in fact not a genius. And that's sort of my educational journey. So I, I spent about six months sort of relearning economics from the ground up, various different content sources there. And then it sort of cemented that Bitcoin was the, the thing here. And that's where I focus all my time. And during that time, I transitioned my previous career, which was building online businesses. Um, my primary business was a content business where I would teach wellness entrepreneurs business skills. So like how to build a website, build an online course, build an email list, that kind of stuff. And then uh, shifted to Bitcoin land as I realized that this was the most important place I could spend my time. I did pretty much any job I could get my hands on for about two years, writing, consulting, doing some sales and business development work. And then at the end of 2019, I joined Swan and I've been there since. And my role at Swan is uh, various different marketing things. I run our email marketing program. I oversee our uh, sort of our content marketing funnel. So from things like blog to email list, email list to customer, and I also oversee our affiliate program. And so my job is just to talk to customers and figure out creative ways to educate them and, and convince them that Swan is a good place to start their Bitcoin journey. And in Bitcoin land, I'm probably most well known for some of my writing, primarily um, a series of essays I wrote exploring Bitcoin as a living organism. And I started that in 2018. And I think I finished the last one maybe in 2020 or something like that. Um, yeah, that's where we are today. Shout out to Swan. Swan is doing huge things in the space. Um, have some good friends over there at Swan. So, you know, thank you, Brendan, for you know, giving your supreme energy to the Bitcoin ecosystem because it's much needed. I appreciate that. And one thing I forgot is I also run a meetup in Minneapolis and I'm very, very, very passionate about the meetups. I think that they're just the backbone of the entire movement. Um, we're up to like around 50 to 100 guys and gals every month. Uh, we have a really, really good spot there. And we're, you know, we're competing with the Nashvilles and the Austins and the Houstons for the best Bitcoin meetup in the United States. So shout out Bitcoiners, Minneapolis. For sure. I want to kind of peel back. And I remember you mentioning how you do so much in the space for Swan, for content creation, for blogs. And, you know, you kind of had like a wide range of different jobs, hustles, entrepreneur skills. And my first question to you is what were like some of the core books or courses or even people in the space that kind of inspired you and allowed you to have, you know, a better source of your Bitcoin knowledge? Yeah, good question. I think anytime we discuss content, um, I think the most important principle to realize before we get into specifics is that Bitcoin is, is anything 
or everything to everyone, right? Like our experience, our life, our perspective, our context, whatever we bring to Bitcoin allows us to see it in a different way. And so, you know, if you're skeptical of it, it looks like a Ponzi scheme. If you're an economist, you know, you view it from that lens, right? So whatever lens you view uh, matters. And so I would say as we're approaching content, uh, it's important to just match what where someone's at with the type of content. And it's also a very big topic. And so there's no rush to get through everything. Like it took me five years to care about mining and now it's the only thing I really think about in Bitcoin. And so I would I would encourage people to just follow their nose, whatever interests them, go down that path and realize you'll figure out the rest later. Um, for my journey, I would say in 2017, right, traded traded all like all the altcoins. And then 2018, I had to figure out what did I just get myself into? And the things that I think helped me understand Bitcoin the most were getting a grasp of economics um, that sort of forced me to unlearn my college uh, education with economics, which was obviously Keynesian economics. And so it was podcasts like Noted with Bitstein and Pierre, uh, Crypto Voices with Matthew Majinski and Fernand Ulrich. And they sort of gave me an Austrian framework to sort of view Bitcoin outside of the traditional um, or neoclassical Keynesian, whatever you want to call that world. So those were huge for me. Um, bullish case for Bitcoin. Right. So it's sort of the economics and monetary economics sides of this that really helped me. And then the final puzzle piece was understanding that Bitcoin is really hard to stop. And there wasn't one piece of content, but I think one of the most rational arguments that a newcomer will present is, OK, so if Bitcoin really is this disruptive technology that's going to compete with central banks or other assets, won't the government just shut it down? right? Rational position. But then you start learning about, okay, Satoshi thought of this from the very beginning. All the design decisions that were implemented into Bitcoin came off the back of lessons learned from previous attempts to create a monetary system outside of the, the current uh, system. And, you know, you, you watch Liberty Gold or sorry, E-Gold get shut down in Florida and you say, okay, I guess we can't make it centralized, right? You watch another one fail. And so, Architecture-wise, it was designed that way. And then you look at the practical comparisons, like trying to shut down the Tor network or trying to shut down the internet itself. And you realize, okay, it's actually pretty hard. And then you start thinking about the economic game theory, where if you're if you're going to attack Bitcoin, uh, okay, start over. You run into Bitcoin. You either can choose to adopt it or you can maybe take a posture against it and attack it in some way or dismiss it. Well. It's a rational position to actually adopt Bitcoin and rather than attack it. And so you start to play that out and you go, wow, the governments are made up of people and everyone's a little bit selfish. So it's it's actually quite hard to find an enemy to Bitcoin. And so I think that was the final puzzle piece is, is realizing that this thing's hard to stop. Um, and that's what inspired the first essay uh, in the series, Bitcoin is the Mycelium of Money, is because just like um, the mycelial archetype, which is the primary form that a fungus lives in, um, it's decentralized. It's hard to stop. Um, you can cut it in half and now you have two of them, right? It sort of evolves and it learns from its environment, um, sort of an anti-fragile network similar to the internet. And so, yeah, that, that'd be my thoughts. Yeah, there. Most definitely. And, you know, it, it kind of makes me think about how important other pieces of literature are for Bitcoiners trying to learn about Keynesian economics or just technology as a whole. And, you know, I know that you're big in the space for talking about the fourth turning and you have pieces on that and you've had podcasters ask you about that. And my question to you is, is do you believe like 
the baby boomer generation retiring and the millennial generation kind of taking the wheel, has that bolstered Bitcoin in your opinion? Yeah, it's a good question. And super quick framing on the fourth turning. Uh, this is a theory or perspective or framework that looks at long cycles through history. The authors look at an 80 year cycle roughly, and it's based on humans. It's based on human generations and the different archetypes that show up over time. And the shortest version of this is every around 80 years, humans look around and they see our exterior world, our institutions, our governments, our uh, education, our healthcare, all these different things. We realize that those institutions, uh, they're not really serving us anymore. They started to decay. And that leads individuals to say, well, we don't trust the media, we don't trust the government, et cetera. And then we want to tear these things down and build new ones that are more representative of the current times. And so the previous cycle ended at the end of World War II. And in that period of time, we um, had a whole new restructuring of the world, right? We had the Bretton Woods financial system. The U.S. became the superpower. We created uh, NATO, the World Bank, IMF, FDIC insurance, Social Security, um, deficit spending for the first time, right? Our government went full Keynesian, all these different things. And, okay, we rebuild these institutions and things look pretty good for a couple of decades, relative stability. We're now growing. America's doing great. Obviously still has some problems, but generally speaking, going in the right direction. And then now, okay, 70 years later, things are looking pretty bad. And again, it's because we're dealing with these outdated institutions. And then what you see is young people starting to revolt and push back on the system. And usually these periods end in total war. So the previous fourth turning, World War II, time before that was uh, the civil, or sorry, the civil war, before that the revolutionary war. And so the question would be, are we gonna head into another war now? I hope, I hope not. Uh, some things are different about this period. So I'm optimistic. Uh, Bitcoin plays a role here. And I wrote a very long essay on this at brandingquitum.com if you want to see how I break that down. But to get right to your question after that long preamble, um, I do think that the baby boomers and the millennials, let's say, there is sort of a tension point here. If you look at government, uh, especially in the United States, they're 80-year-olds. They're extremely out of touch. And yeah, I don't think that they're suited for the modern world. I don't think they're suited to lead us. And I think that the phrase of science advances at the pace of scientists dying is a pretty reasonable way to look at this. And that's sort of saying that um, in science, you know, a young scientist makes this breakthrough and then they cling to their ideas for the rest of their career, defending them, promoting them, and they don't want to let new ideas disrupt them. And it's just a human, frail, ego type situation. I think our politicians are the same. You know, they, they grew up in this world. They understand it. It's benefited them. So why would they support this outside money coming to disrupt the world that they live in? And another phrase by Upton Sinclair, right? It's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. And so I think that that quote illustrates what central bankers view of Bitcoin, what generally governments, central planners think. And so what we're seeing is the, the boomer generation, which in the fourth turning lens, they would be considered the prophets. They're extremely ideological. They're very, uh, they're full of hypocrisy, right? They fly to Davos in their private jets so that they can pass laws to tell us not to buy SUVs anymore, right? This is just uh, the opposite of pragmatic, right? And then the young people, the millennial generation who are starting to take a larger share of uh, power, both in business and starting to enter politics, is we're, we're considered the hero archetype. 
and that's not necessarily a sexy thing. It, usually it means we're the soldiers who go to war, um, and that's what it's been the previous times. But in this case, war feels more like a social thing. It feels like a battle over uh, the direction of our country. It feels like a uh, Keynesian fiat debt-based system sort of screwing all the young people over. And I see that pretty powerfully right now. And so what I see for young people is nihilism. I see um, no hope for the future. I see uh, fear about the climate. Um, there's no way to get ahead. So let's just live in the moment. And I think that money is in a situation. Money erodes society's culture or it promotes society's culture. And I think we're in a period where the monetary system is failing. I think that's plain to see for anyone who has their eyes open. And unfortunately, culture is affected by this failing monetary system. And so what I hope happens here is that young people turn to Bitcoin as a solution because um, historically, the impulse for young people during fourth turnings is to turn towards a centralizing force. It's to say, hey, big, strong government, please save us. We need to pass all these new laws. And I think historically, centralizing power ultimately backfires. It creates all these unintended consequences. And that's simply because the world is far too complex for any group to try to plan. You can look at uh, examples of communism failing uh, for some quick updates there. But the reality is young people today are more collectivists and you know, that's that's okay. It's not necessarily bad. That doesn't necessarily resonate with me, but it's true. And Bitcoin does work for a collectivist mindset and it works for a social justice warrior progressive type thing, which is really popular with young people. And the reason is Bitcoin is a fair monetary policy. It takes power away from the old white guys sitting around the table and it distributes it completely equally around the world. And that is something new. That is a very revolutionary idea that pretty much anyone, any political persuasion can get behind. And so from that lens, Bitcoin is a unifying force in a time when we're fracturing. And so I'm optimistic that young people will come to this conclusion. Um, and I'm hoping that, hoping that like, they will. I've read The Fourth Turning. I've read another book called The Sovereign Individual. And I've kind of like spliced the two together. And I think about like these mini epochs, right? Where you have like, the civil rights movement or Occupy Wall Street, where you have these kind of like bursts of rebellion in between the turning coming in from different generations, kind of taking the wheel of, you know, control of finances and voting and policy. And, you know, I found that the stuff that you've written about in regards to the fourth turning have been super profound for the Bitcoin space. And I really highly recommend people go out and check out Brendan's work. And, you know, these are things that people are going to start to really see come into realization as you see the inflation rate increase. The price of Bitcoin is starting to become more stable again. We've had some downtrends. And, you know, I always try to go back to some of the great writers in the space, such as yourself, Brendan, and really look at and do the homework when the market is down. So um, thank you for kind of elucidating on, you know, the boomer generation versus the millennial generation. Yeah, one, one side comment there is um, I didn't intend to write about the fourth turning. The reality was it was like March, April, May of 2020 and the world was going crazy and I was just stuck at home losing my mind trying to make sense of the world. And some people have this ability to say ignorance is bliss. I'm just going to do my thing, go to work, come home, hang out with the family. I don't have that ability for better or worse. I have to know how things work and I have to make sense of things. I, I get things wrong all the time, but at least I have to feel like I have a model that suits me. And so I wouldn't do a crazy period for like three to six months of reading like crazy, studying the world in sort of a manic state of trying to make sense of it. And out of that sort of uh, 
chaos came from came that essay and i thought that the fourth turning did the best job of explaining what was going on in the world i also read the sovereign individual during that time i agree those are complementary and i would say the third theory that sort of influenced this essay which is called bitcoin and the rhythms of history is ray dalio's theory on the long-term debt cycle and if that's a new concept essentially every again 80 60 to 100 years somewhere in there our financial system breaks and we have to rebuild. Um, there's some mechanics there that are more interesting, but so you're essentially our financial system's breaking, our social institutions are crumbling, and uh, also in the middle of a pandemic, right? That's a lot of chaos all at one point. And so, yeah, no surprise there's volatility, no surprise there's major changes and um, yeah. <laughs> The boomers are still stuck on the 60-40 portfolio and the millennials are stuck on Bitcoin. So I guess it's going to work itself out down the road. Exactly. So, you know, I want to talk about like your entrepreneurial spirit, right? And I think that that's big in the Bitcoin space as well. Like we have a lot of people that are really technically savvy, engineer savvy. And, you know, there's a lot of people in the space that are just hardcore entrepreneurs. And I consider you to be one of those people. So how has your success running companies or I should say multiple companies organically and growing, you know, I seen that you had a company that you grew an email list of over 30,000 people. How has that helped you to onboard people into Swan Bitcoin? Yeah, definitely. So my guess is you found that from my website that I put that on there. No, actually. Uh, the 30,000 list. Now, you know where I found it, Brendan, which is interesting. I was looking at your LinkedIn and I saw it as one of your um, descriptions for, ah, okay. yeah, as a CEO of, I think it was for the yoga company, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So from 2014 through 2018, my wife and I uh, quit our corporate jobs selling software for Oracle and spent that time traveling around the world working remotely. And the business we built during that time was called the Yoga Nomads and.com you can go to the site um i have since sold the business by the way so whatever you see there i can't i can't take any credit good or bad but the business was like i mentioned earlier teaching business skills to wellness entrepreneurs and what i learned from that business was all about content marketing and so okay we have these these archetypal customers for us which would be maybe a yoga teacher a pilates instructor any wellness type entrepreneur and they're struggling with their business, even though they're great at their craft. So we created all types of content, videos, blog posts, etc., teaching business skills to those folks. And then the goal with every article was to, number one, build a relationship with your audience and get traffic. But the, the, the real goal was to get people on your email list. And email was a way to continually nurture a relationship, continually educate these folks. And then periodically, would, we would offer more premium products uh, to that email list. And it got to a point where I was building fully self-service online courses and, you know, three, four years in, well, for, okay, first side story, about six months in, we're traveling, we're in India and all of a sudden we're getting paid. Our website's making money. And I had this realization that I can just punch things on my computer from a hostel and money comes out and it started working and we could travel forever like this. And it was a totally wild experience. Uh, but then towards the end of that business, we fully automated everything where... Uh, I pretty much just managed a team, did payroll, and periodically would tweak our our sales funnel. Um, and so, yeah, I learned a ton about online marketing there. And actually, a conversation with Corey Clipson, the CEO of Swan, uh, before I joined the company, I explained how I automated that and how I think about marketing automation and content, etc. And that was what uh, enticed him to invite me to join the Swan team back in 2019. And so both it gave me skills which i now use at swan and also it was uh that story convinced corey that he should take a chance on me 
And today, how does it relate to Bitcoin? Uh, the SWAN email list is around 235,000 now, which is one of the bigger ones in the industry as far as I'm aware. Um, and I built that from zero uh, about two and a half years ago. Um, and a lot of SWAN's uh, customer acquisition comes through email. And partially because as a company selling Bitcoin, the margins are pretty small, right? We charge 0.99%. And in an industry that's competitive like that, the margins are going to be continually compressing smaller and smaller and smaller over time. And so we have to acquire customers at a low cost. And content marketing is a very low cost of acquiring customers. It takes time and, and time and time and time, but we, we have all these eBooks, we have all this, all these podcasts and blog posts, et cetera. And they all sort of get you into email land. And then that's where I create, um, education series is teaching people things. And again, ultimately when the time is right, invite them to start buying Bitcoin through Swan. And so, yeah, huge part of our business. Um, Swan is actually more like a media company, an education company that monetizes through selling Bitcoin. That's how I think about it. And it's a really cool place to be because what we're finding, and it's pretty obvious to anyone, Bitcoin's hard to understand. And so we need, we want more customers. And one way to find more customers is to educate people about Bitcoin. And so we hire content creators, we hire marketers, we, we hire people with podcasts and brands and evangelists, uh, because that's what our business really is. And so I get to sort of sit in the middle of that and it's a really fun way to do it. And um, yeah, it's very effective. Yeah. And, you know, Corey, I think Corey has a good knack for talent and, you know, just me traversing your LinkedIn. I was like, wow, this guy's done a lot in the space, not only just for Bitcoin, but just like in business in general. And I think that you know, anyone that's savvy with business or savvy with a Bitcoin company would definitely love to, you know, onboard someone such as yourself. So thank you for kind of breaking down that story about how you organically built this email list and the importance of having an email list. So, you know, I think a lot of people might want to know that about your story. So thank you, Brendan, for that. I appreciate the kind words, man. And one more thing on email. People think email sucks because nobody likes getting spammy emails. But the reality is it's the most um, efficient or the, the highest ROI marketing channel today still. And nothing's even close. And yeah, just most people don't believe it, but it's true. Yeah. You know, Swan, like they do a lot of things. You're right. They do educate people. There's, you know, pieces from Tom or Strolite on there, yourself. There's tons of people in the space that are just working on the Swan scene that just do great stuff for Bitcoin. And one of the things I always wanted to bring up was you know, the big debate between self-custody and having like a multi-sig company handling your Bitcoin holdings. So I'd love to hear like your thoughts on, you know, people that choose to use self-custody with Bitcoin versus people that would like to use like a Casa or even like Swan to kind of have them be in control with the multi-sig purpose of Bitcoin. Yeah, it's a good question. And it's very topical right now. People are chirping about this online for various different reasons. Um, so first off, self-custody is king. Um, that is just foundational to the entire movement. It is a requirement, number one, because it, it, require, it, it eliminates all counterparty risks. So you are the only one who can screw it up or whatever. No one can steal it. The government can't take it. Nothing can happen as long as you protect your, your private keys. Um, the second thing here is that private key management is really hard. Humans don't have really any practice managing private keys. And private keys are a piece of information. So we have to keep a secret safe. And that's hard. Whereas keeping a physical object safe, say a gold coins, humans have been doing that for thousands of years. So we figured out safes and safety deposit boxes and buried in your backyard and all these silly things. But we're still learning how to keep information safe. 
um, especially challenging in the information age because information wants to be free. If you think about information on the internet, right? Simple example, if I text you an image or I tweet, tweet you an image or whatever, um, I didn't actually send the image to you. I sent you a copy of it and it still lives on my machine and probably multiple other people intercepted it along the way. And so we have to keep this information away from the internet. Okay, it's getting even harder, right? And I say all this to emphasize, uh, empathize, sorry, with newcomers because I think the average person with a thousand bucks on Coinbase should not necessarily take self-custody, right? Until they're ready. And so it should always be the end goal, but I don't think it should be rushed. And I think there are services that sort of give you a nice middle ground. Uh, you mentioned Casa, there's Unchained, there's other services like this that sort of give you self-custody-ish. And I think that those are reasonable options. I think they make trade-offs that uh, give people a lot of peace of mind. But yeah, I think that's sort of how I'd frame up the argument. And why it's important to self-custody is because if the government wanted to try to attack Bitcoin and all the coins are sitting on exchanges in the US, the government could just take over the exchange and own the whole supply. And that would cause issues. Whereas if the coins are held in self-custody all around the world, good luck. Uh, you can make it illegal, but there's zero way to enforce it. Okay, great. You made alcohol illegal, what happened? Nothing. You made cannabis illegal, what happened? It's more popular than ever, right? You, you make porn illegal, it doesn't work, right? These things, they're just not possible to contain because there's so much demand. And so as individuals, it's our job to make Bitcoin popular because if it's popular, it's going to be really hard to politically attack it. And if everybody else self-custody or at least a decent percentage of the supply, it sort of serves as a warning sign to potential attackers. It says, well, okay, if you try to attack us and you fail, you look really bad and you just reinforce the need for Bitcoin in the first place. So there's kind of a paradox there. And that's a good thing. So here at Swan, we are a centralized exchange. Um, our custody is centralized, right? However, we as a company are very, very aligned to Bitcoin's ethos. Uh, you'll hear this in our company Slack and team meetings every week. Um, is this good for Bitcoin? If so, we do it. And so that's kind of our North Star. And a part of that is um, we want to sell as much Bitcoin as possible. And that requires a KYC exchange at this point for the masses. Um, if you want to get it KYC free, there's tons of options and that's amazing. We fully support that. Um, but that's not our role in the industry. And our role is to sell it through a KYC exchange and then teach you how to get your coins off, right? We have no financial incentive to custody your coins at Swan. Um, I trust our security. There's never been any hacks, nothing like that. But I still recommend everyone self-custody and we run education programs. We have support team that will get on the phone one-on-one -on -one and help your grandma do this. Uh, we offer free withdrawals, so we actually pay the minor fee so you can take your coins off. Uh, we set up a GG actually built a system where you can um, input your XPUB into our account, into our system, so we don't know your withdrawal address and you withdraw automatically. So the good Swan customers, they buy X amount every day or every week. And then every so often they have an automatic withdrawal into cold storage using their XPUB so they're fully private and there's no fee for those things. And so we're doing our part and yeah, it's the backbone of everything. So make sure you shepherd your friends, all you Bitcoiners out there, uh, be the Sherpa for your friends when they're ready. Uh, don't force it on them, but when they're ready, help them out. I love it. And you know, it's like not putting all your eggs in one basket, right? I actually saw... Um... Bitcoin Magazine had a, a, a podcast out where they were talking about law enforcement now. We're starting to, you know, if you get arrested or they have a warrant or something, they're actually being trained now 
to look for people's private keys and look for like ledgers and stuff like that. So, um, you know, just talking about that and thinking about that for the long term is important. And I think that Swan is helping people do that because if you have a multi-sig application set up, it's going to be a lot harder. Even if someone does get your private keys, they're not all going to be sitting in one place. They're going to be spread out between multiple custodians. So I think what Swan is doing is very intelligent. And I think that as the price of Bitcoin continues to grow, the value of Bitcoin continues to grow, you're going to see more multi-sig applications because, um, you know, when you look at the statistics of all the boomers that are going to be retiring, there's going to be a huge cash flow of money going towards millennials, Generation Z, and people are going to have to find ways to secure that safely. And a lot of that might end up going into Bitcoin. So um, the multi-sig thing, I think, is going to be something that's going to be very important down the road, even though self-custody is king, like you say. I think that a lot of people that are older or not as tech savvy might have issues with that. And I think a good viable option would be multi-sig. Yeah, I'm, I'm on team multi-sig for sure. Especially right now, I think it's a good trade-off. And uh, that's terrifying that law enforcement are now trying to find uh, hardware wallets. It doesn't surprise me. Um, and I, I use multi-sig for my primary cold storage. And so if you showed up to my house right now and robbed me, uh, good luck. You, you can't take my coins. You have, you'd have to take me to another location undisclosed, not in this state maybe not even in this country and good luck with that. So um, that's a really nice feature. And then a side comment on the, on the boomers. So yes, boomers are starting to realize that, Hey, what's going on in the economy? Um, I don't like this inflation thing. If inflation continues, my retirement fixed income. So my social security pensions, et cetera, if I get a thousand bucks a month today, well, and that's what I'm going to get for the rest of my life. Well, in five years, $1,000 might buy you a cheeseburger. So those boomers are starting to realize maybe they need to diversify their portfolios. And so we're actually seeing a lot of boomers come to Swan for that same reason. And they need a little extra handholding and they need a little more, you know, slower support and don't get too technical. Um, but that's a really good sign to see because we want them to offboard uh, some of their retirement into Bitcoin. It makes the country more resilient when more Americans have a little bit in their portfolio. You don't need to go all in if you're 70 or 50 or 60 or whatever, but 5, 10%. That's defensive at this point. That's prudent at this point. And that's why our Swan private business is so successful. Um, at Swan, we have multiple lines of business. We have the retail, normal people, and then we have Swan private, which is for people buying in large volume. And the people buying large volume get a rep. They meet one-on-one. -on -one, they get advice. They get uh, special webinars like this month, Len Alden's coming to speak and teaching them certain things. And they really appreciate that hand-holding aspect. Um, and that's swanprivate.com if anyone's interested, but I don't mean to shill it too hard here. <laughs> 100%. And, you know, my last question is, you know, when you talk about the boomers, you talk about <clears throat> millennials, you have um, so many people asking questions, so many young people want to know about Swan, want to know about Bitcoin. What is this new digital asset? What do you say to people or especially young people that want to have a successful store value within the next decade. Yeah, that's a really important point. Um, I touched on this a little bit earlier, which is that I observe young people uh, accepting nihilism, <laughs> accepting this sort of screw it, let's just party now and just whatever. There's no point to the future. The climate's broken and the boomers jacked up all the assets. We have no chance. And sadly, that's a rational way to look at the world right now. It's a very pessimistic way, but it's logical, right? But here comes Bitcoin 
Um, it's got about over a hundred percent compound annual growth rate over the last six years. So, um, if that continued, it'd be doubling your money every year on average. And I'm not making any guarantees on Bitcoin's price, but it has the potential to be a hundred times bigger than it is today, this decade. Um, now that's something to get excited about. And so if you're a young person, I encourage you to spend less than you earned, right? Make savings sexy again. And that means making some trade-offs in your lifestyle. If that means moving out to a place that costs less, that means drinking less, whatever that is for you. I think that those sacrifices today are going to be worth it. And by learning that the philosophy behind Bitcoin or just interacting with an asset that continues to go up in price, you might start thinking about the future in a more optimistic way. And that's just from the asset itself. Then you start to understand that there's a whole community of people converging on this asset, on this movement, on this, uh, honestly, political revolution empowered by a technological advancement in monetary tools that allows us um, to take back money away from the government and give it back to the people. And you're going to find people involved in this space that are optimistic, that are fighting for something that they believe in, that genuinely are happy. Um, and that's a really cool feeling is finding a community of people who are optimistic. And you might notice that uh, things are very different than your normie friends or your friends day to day. And I have many of those those friends and they're dear to me. However, the outlook on life is quite different. And so Young people, um, you know, be optimistic, raise a family, have kids, think long term. Like these are the foundation of our species. And um, just know that there is a little bit of hope in Bitcoin. Yeah, And what, what really did it for me, too, was like when I looked at the expansion of the money supply. Right. So like if the expansion of the money supply is expanding at, we'll say, 12 or 13 percent a year, how are you going to keep up with the inflation hurdle rate? The only thing out there that I've seen so far is Bitcoin. And people worry about volatility. They say, oh, the price is crashing. It's going up. It's going down. It's not stable. But when you have something like Bitcoin that's going to dematerialize real estate, stocks, bonds, gold, you're going to have volatility. And I think that that's going to be one of the things that young people are going to have to really sit down and study and learn about because nothing that's going to change the world, nothing that's going to be paradigm shifting is just going to be stable at first. And I think that that's what scares off a lot of the early people trying to be orange pilled, early consumers where they want like an S&P 500 type of asset where it's stable. You can see a rate of return every year. And, you know, I think that Bitcoin is kind of forcing people to kind of stick their neck out there and take a risk because without any risk, there's no reward. Yeah. Yeah. That's very well said. And you're right. Volatility is scary. And especially Bitcoin was trading at 69,000, like, I don't know, nine months ago or something. And now it's around like 20 something. So that would be a kind of a bummer if you threw your life savings in and then you lost two thirds of it. However, that's not how you want to approach Bitcoin, right? That's why we promote DCA, dollar cost averaging at Swan. It's just a little bit each week, right? You, you go to swan.com, you set up an account, 10 bucks a week, 1,000 bucks a week, whatever you can do, just automate it and don't think about it because it is a long-term thing, right? Either this thing goes up 100X or more or it goes to zero. Those are the options. And that's a bet willing, I'm willing to take, right? And if you're a young person, just a little bit every week and and only with the money that you don't need for five years right this isn't your rent money this isn't what you need to buy food this is long-term money this is your savings just think of it as a long-term savings and you're okay and the volatility like you said at that point it's your friend because you can't go from zero to 100 trillion without some rocky 
volatility along the way. And usually the volatility is to the upside. So remember that. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Brendan, you know, you know, let people know, let the audience know where people can find you, contact information, let them know everything that Swan has going on. Uh, please let the audience know that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'll start with Swan that end, end with myself. Um, swan.com slash Quidam, my last name. Uh, if you go to that page, that's my referral page and you sign up there, uh, you'll get $10 in free Bitcoin just for creating an account. You don't have to buy anything, just no strings attached, 10 bucks. Um, obviously we hope you buy buy Bitcoin with us, but it's not required. Um, swan.com slash free book. If you want to download our, our CTO's book, Jan Pritzer, uh, his book called Inventing Bitcoin. It's a great way to understand how Bitcoin works. That's free, uh, swan.com slash free book. And if you want to get access to our Swan private business, the, the business where you get one-on-one -on -one service, tax advice, et cetera. Um, again, for those looking to buy in larger volumes, swanprivate.com for that one. Um, we have a conference coming up in Los Angeles. I hope you'll be there. It is the Pacific Bitcoin conference in November in Santa Monica. So pacificbitcoin.com for tickets there. And if you use promo code SWAN, you'll get 20% off the, the early bird tickets. And I think tickets go up in a few days. So, um, snag that if you want to come hang with us. Um, let's see for myself. Twitter is the best place. That's where I'm most active online. Uh, B-Q-U-I-T-T-E-M, search Branding Quitem, you'll find me. And then all my writings on my personal website, brandingquitem.com, but you can find all that through Twitter. Um, and come say hello on Twitter. My DMs are open. Brendan, once again, thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out to be on the Bitcoin source. Uh, have a good one. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs>